When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hey, we'll get to the episode in a moment. I just wanted to put this in there real quick. We had originally recorded about an extra 15 or 20 minutes of this episode. Unfortunately, due to some internet outages and glitches, the last 15 or 20 minutes that QB and I discussed uh, were lost forever. So that segment was a little bit about Alabama and Nick Saban's retirement and Washington and the effects on the rosters at both Washington and Alabama and overall kind of the bigger picture of college football in the landscape of the transfer portal and unlimited transfers and what happens when your coach leaves. Unfortunately, as I said, that segment has been lost. We will have to re-record that again in a future episode, maybe the next one we do next week. But uh, apologize for that. I hope you do enjoy the episode that we have for you today. And if you hear it abruptly kind of just end, now you know why. Thank you for listening. Good evening and welcome back once again to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I am Doug Scott, joined as always by QB11. Andrew, what's your food order? I have no idea. I've been staring. Like I'm so hungry that I, I'm indecisive. Like I've been like, like I don't want to cook. I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want to order. I'm just been staring at Uber Eats now for a solid thirty minutes, and it's not helping me. So I don't know. We're just gonna record, and um, whatever happens, happens. You might just starve to death. Yeah, and when we're done recording, I'm gonna go get some food. So, um, 
we'll see how we'll see what I'm going to end up with either. I have no idea, but uh, I'm, I'm glad to be talking to you again today. It's been about a week, but it's I been know. a pretty busy week, QB, since we last spoke. Uh, you know, when Dan had released his video that he's staying, we talked about that. I think the Alabama coaching search was still not complete at that time. Obviously, that a lot has happened on the coaching dominoes front. We're going to talk about that later in the show. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of really early look ahead to kind of the Big Ten landscape in 2024 and and maybe the national title contenders in 2024. Again, you know, still a lot can change through spring ball and whatnot, but, you know, everyone's kind of putting out these early lists. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, too. And Oregon has two more commits since we last spoke, so we'll talk about them. But first, let's start with a, a coaching change. At, at Oregon. So coach Demetrius Martin, meet, uh, as he's affectionately called, is moving on. He's going to take the uh, coach uh, corners or defensive backs at Michigan State with Jonathan Smith, which is, I believe, his alma mater. Is that correct? Uh, I thought he went to UCLA. Let me, I'm going to double check that really quick. I, I thought I heard that somewhere, so I could be incorrect. But So he's going to move on there. And in light of that, it, it seems as though Oregon has already, well, I don't think they've announced this, but it's been reported by James Crepia and others that Oregon will be promoting uh, safeties coach and co-defensive coordinator Chris Hampton will still be co-defensive coordinator and will now be defensive backs coach. So he'll kind of oversee the entire back end of the defense. And then they haven't announced officially who will be taking on the 10th the assistant on field role yet, but it sounds like um, they did. It has been reported again by James and others that uh, coach Rashad Wadud will be stepping up in the corners room and taking a, a bigger role with the cornerbacks. He's been a GA there for the last, I think two seasons and it's been, uh, you see his name a lot when you, if you follow Twitter and you follow recruiting and you follow recruits, you know, a lot of them, um, you know, shout him out in their recruiting process and, and elsewhere. So he's been a behind the scenes guy as a rising star, I think in the defense, defensive back coaching. So Oregon's gonna, gonna retain him and, and give him a more prominent role. And then as well, coach Brian Michalowski, who has been on staff as an analyst this past year, coaching primarily with the linebackers. It sounds like we'll also be taking an increased role in the defense this year. So th- those are kind of the big staff changes and, and keep you know, talk a little bit about, you know, any impacts you might see on this, on the recruiting trail, on the field, you know, kind of what are your thoughts overall on these changes? So I was able to confirm while you were talking that Demetrius Martin did in fact play at Michigan State. So that's news to news to me, but you learn something every day. Um, in terms of how it impacts recruiting, I don't think it does at all. And I actually think that um, this frees up a spot that allows you to make an aggressive play to retain some really important guys who probably haven't been getting enough credit from Oregon fans. Um, specifically Coach Wadud uh, and Coach B-Mike. I know those are the two that were highlighted by Matt Zenitz. Um, my understanding is Coach uh, B-Mike is the one that actually got Martin's on-field role. Um, although I think that they can do some funky stuff where they designate different guys to do different things so that they can go out on the road recruiting. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Wadud be a coach that's also on the road recruiting. Uh, and I would also anticipate that he's going to be getting an on-field coach's salary despite the fact that he's technically an analyst. Um, but in regards to impact, I mean, Wadud and B-Mike are two of the best recruiters in the country and they're young guys. Um, and I think that being able to nurture um, and internally promote that type of talent on your staff, first of all, says a lot about the program as a whole. 
Um, but two is uh, a position of luxury to be in where you lose a guy like Demetrius Martin, who's a very good core coach and a very good recruiter, and there's no drop-off. Um, and in fact, I think that what the uh, space that that cleared financially for Oregon to promote and pay these two guys, gentlemen um, is actually going to be a, a pretty big upgrade for Oregon long-term. Yeah, and I think it speaks, as you said, it speaks to the talent that's not just in the, the front ranks of the coaching at, at Oregon, but behind the scenes. We've talked about some of those guys in the past. You know, you, you kind of have the two two categories of 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 the off-field coaches, if you will, the analysts. Um, you, you have kind of the grizzled veterans like Coach Kavanaugh, who's, you know, helping out with the offensive line and Coach Terry and right doing a great job there. And and, and then you kind of have these young up-and-comers like, like Coach B. Mike and, and Coach Wadud. And I think... I've had the good fortune of attending practices a time or two in the past. And when you're, when you attend a practice, you really see the amount of people that are involved in, in the practice, in the operation of a practice outside of just the, the, the coaches that we all know, right? We, you know, Dan, we know the 10 assistants, but all those analysts, GA student assistants, you know, all these people are a lot of the kids that are, they're just like kids who go to school there. Right. And they, they're, they haul water around, they move, uh, you know, tackling dummies around to set up all these different drills. And these practices are very, very high paced, very complex, very complicated. And there's, there's an entire operation of people that's practically as big as the player base that is involved in that. And, and along that, I think one of the things you've seen is the stocking of talent in the, in some of those ranks in the paid positions, particularly we're talking about, right. With these, with some of these guys that are working behind the scenes and, and they're up and comers. And when you can just internally promote, instead of having to go out and do a search and bring someone in who may or may not fit the culture, may or may not fit what you're looking for. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a luxury to have. And it just shows what, what an incredible job that Dan and Marshall and the coaching staff have done kind of stacking the, the coaching roster as well as the the player roster. I could not agree more. I think that um, when you look back at like the best staffs of all time, you look at the staffs like that 2015-2016 Bama staff where like Glenn Schumann and Dan Lanning weren't even full-time assistants on that staff. Um, and, and what that what that created was this like internal promotion and even it might not be for like next year if you lose an assistant but it might be for five years down the road like you have Dan leaving that staff going to Memphis and then Kirby calling him back to be a linebacker coach a couple years later right and so um having having talented graduate assistants and analysts um and young coaches in these roles ends up producing a roster um, for sustained success down the road because if Oregon continues to win at this clip, they're going to lose guys to head coaching jobs and coordinator jobs, and you're going to need to backfill that talent. And so keeping a keeping a good, active, developmental squad of coaches on staff is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think obviously it can keep keeping Coach Hampton, I think is another one that that's a pretty unhar a probably underappreciated aspect, right? I know that it was reported on Twitter as well, and I, probably by Zenitz or maybe Crepia that that he had been either approached or offered some defensive coordinator jobs around the country, and um, and he you know he he chose to stay at Oregon for this increased role, and and Hampton I think is a big big part of what's going on in this defense, along with Tosh and Dan, obviously. Yeah. Um... <laughs> It was reported by Matt Dennett that he was actually offered the Missouri defensive coordinator job. So um, 
not just like, oh, they like approached him and asked if he would be interested, like full on offered him the job. So um, that says a lot, I think, about what Coach Hampton's meant to the staff. And I think you and I have done a decent job of, of bringing up like, hey, this guy, this guy is more than just like a safeties coach. He's more than just an assistant. Um, and I, I think that just goes to confirm all of what we've heard is in, in, in the impact that he had on the defense. And quite frankly, in a situation where we didn't know if we were going to be able to upgrade, I think we upgraded pretty massively with him. So um, huge, huge to uh, retain Coach Hampton, be able to give him a promotion in terms of pay and and um, and responsibilities. And I think he's a perfect guy to groom Wadud for the future. Yeah, so obviously look forward to those official announcements coming from the program. There's a lot of backgrounds to contracts have to be signed and stuff like that has to happen. So I'm sure that'll all be coming out, but I don't, I don't expect anything. And QB, I would expect this is probably it for coaching changes. I mean, we're pretty late in the coaching cycle now. I would I would expect we're pretty well set, don't you think? Um, I would anticipate as much, but you just never know. Um, I, I think this was the only change that I expected even being a possibility this year. I know you'd probably agree with me on that one because um, this almost, I mean, being, just being fully transparent and honest, this almost happened a year ago. Um, so uh, I, I think this will be it for coaching changes for Oregon in, in this cycle. All right. Well, let's get on to the recruiting trail. Uh, and I think we're going to be back with Justin next week. I know he hasn't been on in a while, so we'll be excited to bring that bring him back in next week. And I think we have a more regular cadence uh, planned with Justin going forward as well. So listeners will be excited, hopefully, to hear that that we'll get him on more regularly. But uh, we do have some some new commitments this week for Oregon. First, uh, Jamari, hopefully I said that right, Caldwell. The Jamari. transfer from Jamari. Yeah, there you go. Transfer from Houston. Uh, I know Texas was hot after him as well. Defensive lineman, defensive tackle. Tell the fans what they're going to see from from Caldwell in an Oregon uniform and in this Oregon defense. I mean, think of uh, plus Dorless, which is kind of crazy to say because when Dorless left, I didn't think we were going to be upgrading at the position. But truly, uh, a, a big-time player, a draftable player, um, a, a kind of an ugly body, if we're going to be really honest. like He doesn't have like that lean long frame um he carries quite a bit of weight through his gut um but then you see him start moving it's like oh okay yeah that works he's he's got he's got really uh really elite burst and explosiveness through his upper body i don't know if he has a wrestling background i don't know a ton about the kid from his past but his uh his natural lean and leverage that he plays with is very 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 good and he's he's a, he's a plus pass rusher he had six and a half sacks last year a ton of pressures He's a guy that you you can move all over the line. Um, very rare that you see. I know he he stated he's six three. I think he's probably closer to six one. Um, and I know a lot of people have assumed he's a, he's a nose tackle, but he's played out as wide as a seven technique and actually beaten. He beat Texas's right tackle off the edge for a sack as an edge rusher in that game. Um, but where where he's really really good and where he projects in this defense is playing as a three technique on the inside where he's just a lot to handle for guards because of his quickness explosiveness change of direction and then his power I mean he gets he gets really good extension you watch you watch the uh, offensive tackle or offensive guards uh, uh, shoulder pads when he when he's playing against them it's like they get fork lifted up into the air um, really good knockback power and then the ability to redirect and he plays with a lot of motor I think that's that JUCO and him he just he just tries to make every play himself. So uh, really impressive talent, a guy that I think is going to be like immediate impact help. Um, and I, and, he, and he's going to be someone that I think like 
truly makes a difference for us next year. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't evaluate players and I'm not going to evaluate Caldwell, but it, it is interesting hearing what you said. Cause you know, I looked at, I looked at some clips with him of him that were online and some with you and you turn on the tape and you see him and you're like, Oh, he's a zero one tech. You know, he's a nose tackle. Great. You know, just by looking at his body and then you see, you see him line up and you see you know, he's lined up at the three, he's lined up at the five. Oh, he's lined up at a seven. And then you see him move and you're like, guy doesn't look like he should be able to move like that. It, it, it's it's weird watching him, but uh, but in a good weird. Yeah, it's he's he's got kind of a funky body, but I, I like I'm, I'm wasn't kidding. Like he just he's just good. <laughs> he just he just makes plays. He's just super athletic. Like he you see him, he gets out. You like you get him isolated out in space, and it's like oh no, it's big fat guy in space. No, definitely not. Not a big fat guy in space. Like he can legitimately yeah. get out and run. He um, was and out close on, in space on the space and make tackles. Yeah, sorry. I just, the one clip I saw, he was out outside the tackles, basically one on one with a running back, and he broke down and made the tackle. I'm just like, when, when do you see that from a guy that size? It was, uh, you know, I'm not saying that happens every play, but that was a pretty impressive play, along with that that edge rush too uh, off the edge on the tackle. So uh, I'm excited to see him. He, he looks like he plays with just a ton of motor, and you know, that's something that he brings here on a consistent down and out basis, and especially in a, in a defense where he's probably going to be rotating and not having to play, you know, every down like that, and that kind of energy and motor, you know, it can be effect- infectious as well. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I, I, again, I think this is a guy that um, finds his way onto the field really quickly as a starter, replaces Dorless, and I, and I think he's going to have more sack production because Dorless is one of those guys where he had to win like immediately with quickness or move, and and really he was more of a technician than he was like a true like incredible athlete. Um, and Caldwell doesn't have to win with his um, his initial move; he can get out. Um, and, do, and he has a good rush plan, but he can get into his second, third move. And he just continues to push the pocket because he's just human leverage. He just plays with such elite lean. He's so strong. And I, and I don't know if he has long arms. I've never seen his measurements, but the way that he gets pressed out on, on, on offensive linemen, you would expect that he does. And it's not like he was doing this in a bad league. He was doing this in the Big 12 last year. So um, I'm, I'm really excited about what Caldwell has to offer. Well, it looked like third time was the charm with that one. I know Oregon went after, obviously, Walter Dolan, and then they went after uh, Harmon, uh, who chose to return to Michigan State, and then now uh, at that interior spot. Again, these guys aren't all necessarily the exact same position, but, you know, they're all interior defensive line, and and now they got Caldwell uh, on the third go-round. So good get there. And let's move on to Brandon Johnson. This is an interesting recruitment. So he's a transfer from Duke, played pretty much exclusively in the slot nickel last year as a as a in the coverage for duke um he's someone that there was some early smoke if you will or, or reports that he might be interested in oregon or might be coming to oregon like a month ago when the portal opened in early december maybe more than a month ago and then it kind of never really heard anything more about him about oregon like i didn't hear any reports of him visiting anywhere I don't even know if he visited Oregon or not, but it was it was a really re- quiet month or so, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, yesterday, oh, Brandon Johnson commits to Oregon. Like, oh, okay, there's another DB. What yeah, about yeah. This guy? And it was so he's more he's a nickel, um, and I know a lot of people like oh, safety. They're assuming that we're bringing him in to play deep, uh, and that is not the case. He's he's a, he's a nickel safety. Um, there's basically zero film of him playing anything else. Um, so, 
any any hopes of him coming in and being the answer of free safety or deep safety. I think that's what Savage is for. Um, but really fast player, yeah, to me, he's basically Tyshim Johnson. I, I don't I don't love him playing in reverse. I don't love him playing deep coverage as opposed to safety. Um, and and sometimes he get, he can get beaten, man. But like as a downhill defender, um, first and foremost, he can track across the field. He can run sideline to sideline. He's an, and he's a really aggressive tackler, uh, which I think is really what you're looking for here. Is is you're looking to get um, an enforcer, a guy that can that can run sideline to sideline and pr- and provide a, a veteran leadership in the in the star room uh, for a guy like Dylan Austin, who's got better natural coverage ability to kind of come up and, and learn from. Yeah, you know, and it, with the move to the Big Ten, I know, you know, there was a lot of focus last year, and rightfully so, on, you know, the deficiencies at that position in coverage, particularly against Washington twice, right, and, and against some other teams as well. But, you know, with the move to the Big Ten, there's going to be some of those teams that, you know, Ohio State, USC, Washington, maybe, uh, you know, that, that are going to play that way still, and that you do need to have uh, better speed, better coverage in the back end. But a lot of teams in that conference also that Oregon's going to be playing, you're going to need your nickel to be more of a downhill player, right? Up and run support, up up on the line, right? Because they are going to be playing heavier boxes and heavier. And not, not to say you can't switch out your nickel, but in your base defense, I think you are going to need a, a more downhill nickel. So maybe... Maybe that's not the worst thing in the world for Oregon to have options, you know, to go either way, depending on the matchups. Yeah, I agree. I think that they're going to look to mix, mix and match. Um, and I think that really what they want is they want to get away from having a super thin lineup like they did a year ago where you really didn't have, you had three safeties that you played all year because once Brian Addison was no longer with the team, it was Stevens, Johnson, and that, and Williams. And really beyond that, there was nobody else. Um, and I don't, I don't think they want to get caught in that situation because, frankly, Oregon was really fortunate from an injury standpoint to not have to lose one of those guys and get forced into playing someone that's just not ready to go. Um, and so, when when all of those things considered, I think that adding depth and talent and top end experience to the room was important, and they accomplished that with with Johnson. Um, they accomplished that with Savage accomplished that with Alexander. And so I think they love, I really, I really believe they love the the young crop of players that they have. Um, but did they want to be caught in a position where that's all they had? I, I don't think that was the case. I think that would have been um, a, a bad spot to be caught in. So um, what are your thoughts, Doug? No, I, I think that's exactly it. I think they're clearly, I, you know, I keep I continue to be surprised um, in a good way because I keep thinking like, oh, well, we're deep at this position, we're deep at that position. We don't need any more bodies there. You know, we've we, we've got you know we've got all these recruits we brought in over the last couple cycles, and then you know we go and get another corner and we go and get another nickel uh, safety. I obviously agreed with from from the start. Um, so what do I know? I, I don't know as much as the staff knows. Um, and, and what I know is that this staff knows what they're doing with roster management. They know what they're doing with talent acquisition. Um, and so, and they have way, way, way more information about their plans and their needs than I ever could. So I'm not going to question it. Um, if they think this guy is, is going to help them and, and anybody they bring in, you know, not just Brandon Johnson, but any of these players that they're bringing in, the staff clearly thinks they're bringing them in and they're, they're going to help them next year. And, Quite honestly, we have two portals, two portal seasons now in the books. 
And I think they're, they were right on 85% of those acquisitions. So uh, they're, I'm not going to question it. Yeah, I could not agree more. It's like, okay, well, at this point, they've definitely earned my trust. I, I did. I'm not saying that because they need my trust with Johnson. I just, I, I'm not seeing like super high end coverage ability with him, but that doesn't mean he can't be a good player for us um, and give us good snaps. So I, I, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I mean, I just think, you know, what we saw in the back end, particularly in the two safety and nickel position was, we had three guys that were above the line, as Dan says, for the majority of the season that were playing 100% of the snaps. And we've talked about this over and over and over again, right? That is not ideal, uh, both from a you know an injury standpoint, but also just from a you know even in a game standpoint, right? You have different types of matchups that you want to be able to be flexible for. You have, you know, just giving guys a blow on a series or you know a few plays, you know, so that he's fresher, you know, at the, when you need him on key plays or at the end of the game or a key third down or whatever, a uh, scoring a scoring opportunity for the other team. And I think if Oregon has six guys that are above the line at those three deep positions, deep center positions this year, then that's twice as many as they had last year, and that's a, ultimately a good thing and where you need to be. So, yeah. I'm all for uh, it. Could not agree more. I, and and I, I think that what what I've seen is Oregon just wanted to have more bodies. Like, we play so many guys up front. We play so many guys up front. And we just didn't have the same flexibility to do that in the back half of the defense. And also, like, there was some reports yesterday. There was an Instagram post from Jalil Florence that he had a surgery. So, it's like... When is he going to be back? Is it something that's a longer term problem? Is it something that um, that he can get back on the field for the spring with? And so when you start, like, when you hear things like that, it's like, oh, yeah, the staff does know what they're doing. They are operating with substantially more information than we are. Um, and so they they probably are putting us in a position to be successful. And, and, and that's been true every single year since they've been here. And I think that's true here. And so, um, again, like, if you're asking me, like Johnson, Brandon Johnson's a better player than any of Steve, than either Stevens and Tysheem Johnson, probably. Um, and he's fast and he can run sideline to sideline and he's a really good tackler. Like, in, and there is a role for a guy like that in this defense. Yeah. I think the more options you have, the better. It, uh, like you were saying last week when we brought in Cam Alexander, we talked about him. You know, the more guys that can cover, the better. Um, so, yeah, great. Another great addition there. And obviously, you know, the, Jabbar Muhammad continues to be in play as well. He visited Texas this week. He's going to, Al- I think he's at Alabama now for the weekend. And then uh, it's been reported today. Uh, shout out to Max. Um, I forget. Max Torres reported this. He was the first one to report this today that, that Jabbar will be uh, visiting Oregon next weekend. So that's another cover, cover guide. True corner, obviously, um, that Oregon is, I assuming, would, would absolutely take. Um, if, if he's willing to come here uh, instead of Alabama or Texas. So that's another guy that can cover that could be added to this, to this uh, defensive back room and, and coach Hampton and coach Wadud and, um, you know, going to have, have a lot of guys back there and that's going to be a lot of competition in the spring, which is great. Yeah. And that's what you're, what you want, what you're looking for. You want to have as many guys. I mean, like we talked about multiple times, you can never have too many guys that can cover. And so, um, does it cause somebody to leave? I don't know. I think that with Coach Martin leaving, there's probably at least one player that we could assume 
is most likely out after the spring, just based on how much he played last year and where he came from. Um, I'm not saying it's a hundred percent. I'm not saying I have any inside information because I don't, I'm just guessing, but, um, just based off of what we know, um, I, it seems that if you have an opportunity to upgrade and add more cover guys, you're going to take that. I mean, there's going to have to be attrition, you know, Oregon's somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 scholarship players right now. Again, we talked about why it's hard to know the exact number between some guys that are walk-ons uh, potentially and some, and, and all the specialists. Um, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 to 92 scholarship players right now. And that doesn't include Jabbar or anybody that might come in in the spring. So, uh, yeah, that room, that corner room particularly is getting quite full, especially if you add Muhammad. So that's a, it's a spot where you could see some attrition, um, you know, maybe out of the safety room as well, maybe out of the linebacker room, maybe out of the offensive line room, maybe out of the receiver room. I, I mean, somewhere across this roster, you're going to find five or seven more um, guys that, that head out in the spring portal window. And, and you know, that's 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 the new normal. Yeah, we talk about this all the time, but this is it's competition and the cream rises to the to the top. And and the other guys, thankfully, have an opportunity with the way the system is now where they can go transfer to another place that where they can play. So I, I don't have any problem with that. And Oregon fans shouldn't either. No, absolutely not. And uh, I think that Bud Elliott on the cover three podcast said it really well today, like he typically does, um, that really it's the, the best teams, the best rosters now, because you can't just stack and hoard talent like you could before the transfer portal or NIL. But the best rosters now are going to be the ones that have basically first right of refusal on all the four- and five-star players, meaning that they're going to get them on campus, and they're going to find out for themselves who, who, the, who the best players are. And they're going to get, they're going to get their first option to, to keep those guys. And are they always going to be right with that evaluation? Not necessarily. Um, are they occasionally going to keep the wrong guy? Maybe, but like, like we've been talking about, like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my default position is gonna be trusting the staff, um, to to make the right decision with those guys, and as long as they're bringing in high quantities of quality talent, it's never gonna be a problem. Absolutely. You want to move on to the next topic? Sure. Did you order some food yet? I did. Oh, good. I'm happy to hear that. We just All went right, with so Old Faithful. We just went on the way. Chipotle, which honestly, order, ordering Chipotle is a, a risky proposition because um, there's a chance when you order Chipotle that you're going to end up um, just getting completely skimped on on being greedy. So, yeah, I like to be there when I'm ordering it in person. You know, like no, no, give me that. No, I don't want that. You know. Um, all right, let's move on. So, Big Ten. Uh, Oregon, as you know, is moving into the Big Ten next year, along with Washington, USC, and UCLA. I don't, I don't want to necessarily power rank eighteen teams here at QB, but you know, maybe we can talk about tiers. Um, you know, tiers of of teams as we're looking at ahead to next year, and where Oregon, where the other teams fit in to the pecking order in the Big Ten. And I guess let's start with like, what are the teams that you think can win the Big Ten conference next year? Uh, Ohio State, list? Oregon. Yeah, it's it's a four team list. I think it's a well, really think it's a three team list. But I'll, I'll add at Penn State because there's a chance with the new offensive coordinator that things just go really right for them. Um, but I, I tend to lean Oregon, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. 
And I think Penn State's yeah, the one that's probably uh, probably in the outside looking into that group. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. I think that's the clear top four. I know there's probably, I mean, there's probably going to be some others that would want to be included in there. I think, you know, obviously a team like Washington, I think you and I were expecting to fall off a bit next year anyway, given what the roster was looking like. But obviously now, and we're going to talk about them a little bit more later, they're not even in the conversation. I think USC fans would expect themselves to be in that conversation, but I don't, I don't see it yet. I think they've had, you know, they got a new quarterback. They got to figure out that. Um, and then, then they've got all new defensive staff. They got a lot of new players. They've, they've, I don't think they're quite ready in that tier. I, I definitely put USC in the second tier though, um, along with some other teams, but I don't, I don't have them in tier one either. Yeah. I, to me, it's really kind of a two team race. I think Michigan's being a wild card because their defense, they do return just a ridiculous amount of talent. And we, but we don't know yet what's going to be happening with Jim Harbaugh. Um, and that could change things as well in regards to, um, in, in regards to like, what does their talent look like? Because what happens if Harbaugh takes multiple key assistants and then Moore is unable to keep that roster together? Now, I don't think that's something that they're going to end up um, having to deal with because I think Sharon Moore is a really good coach. Uh, I think that he's got fantastic relationships across that roster. Uh, so I think that they'll be able to hold things together. But just with what we've seen out of Washington and Alabama over the last week, <laughs> um, I, it, it's never safe to assume, I, I think, at this point. And so you want to make sure... Um, you want to make sure that, like, you want to see it before you just write it in. So, to me, if if Michigan stays together and keeps that roster in one piece, I think Michigan's absolutely a contender, depending on quarterback play. Whereas I feel a lot more confident uh, with the whole roster all the way around with Oregon and uh, Michigan. Well, the or, interesting or thing, Ohio State, sorry. Yeah, no, I got you. Uh, the the other interesting thing about that is is Michigan, Oregon, Ohio State all play each other. So, what where that could come into play is with the the top two format, right? Your scheduling could determine what of the participants in you know could be a, a bigger factor in determining what one of the participants in the Big Ten title game, right? So, if those three teams all have to play each, both of the other two, you know, there's there's losses in there, right? Versus uh, maybe somebody who only has to play one of those three or two of those three has has a better chance to sneak into the Big Ten title game. Now, I think that team would be, you know, significantly overmatched and wouldn't really have a good chance of winning the Big Ten title game. But I do think there's a scenario at play where the best two teams aren't necessarily playing in the Big Ten title game just because of the, the round-robin scheduling at the top. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that, um, like... I mean, a team like Penn State could show up though in in late December, in December, early December, and beat a Michigan or Ohio State and Oregon if they get hot at the right time and their schedule breaks the right way. Whereas a team that plays the other two in a round robin format, like Oregon, Washington, Ohio State, have to do, could like could get could win one or both of those games and then um, choke the ability to get the the bye week in the playoffs. So. Um, there's going to be, it's interesting because it's not an elimination game from playoff consideration like it might have been in years past. Uh, it'll instead be like, all right, you're playing for that bye week, which I think is going to end up being a lot more important than people are talking about right now because four more games at the end of the season in a 12-team playoff, it's going to be tough to stay healthy. Um, and it's going to it's going to challenge your depth. And so an extra week off at home with your guys it's healthy. It's actually an extra we, two weeks off because the, yeah, the way the two weeks off. Yeah, yeah. And basically, yeah. the the way the schedule works out is the 
the first round is two weeks after the conference title games. And then the second round is two weeks after that. So it's it's the difference between being off four weeks or, or having to play in the middle there. Yeah. And that's going to be a huge, that's going to be a big deal in my opinion. Um, I think that's going to honestly probably determine, um, who wins and, and, and who loses like at the end, because like, if you, let's just say you lose an important player in that game, in that first game, like that could completely cripple your ability, depending on who the player is to really be competitive in the rest. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued, um, to say the least, to see how this all ends up playing out, um, and who ends up and who ends up getting the bye weeks and how that ends up like impacting who wins at all uh, over the course of the, the first couple of years of this playoff, because four games against tough opponents in a row is really tough to win. Three is hard, but four is really tough. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The other thing, I, the thing I think is we're going to see in the first two years is you're going to have the big 12 and the ACC champs get a bye by default, right? So Utah or, Arizona or Colorado or somebody's going to win the Big 12, Kansas State going to win the Big 12, maybe be ranked 10th, but they're going to get a bye. And the, and the you know, third or fourth ranked team in the country is going to have to play in that first round because they finished second in the SEC or second in the Big 12, in the Big 10. And I think that is going to become pretty obvious pretty fast that that's unjust. And I think I expect that to change in 2026 i expect it'll go those there'll still be automatic bids for those champions but they won't get they're not they won't be the buys won't be automatic right the buys won't be reserved only for conference champions but we'll see we'll see how it plays out as it i mean as it should be right like there's i i can't be convinced that that's like the right way to do it well, the, it was put together before all the movement right so before texas and oklahoma and before USC and UCLA. So in the, in the old format, I think it made a little more sense because you didn't have the, the two, you still had a power five when this was put together, you didn't have these two super conferences and you, and you didn't have enough cross play. Right. So I didn't, when it was announced, it made sense to me that, okay, well, you know, you should get, you should get something for winning your conference. And we don't really know which conference is better than the others. It's all kind of speculatory. Um, but in this format, I think it's pretty clear that the number two Big Ten team and the number two SEC team are far more likely than not to be higher quality teams than the winners of the ACC and and the Big certainly the Big Twelve. I mean, when you like, if you asked me to give you a top five right now for next year, there would be three Big Ten teams in the top <laughs> five and two SEC teams. And if you asked me I to give you a top ten, the, I don't yeah. think that there would still be a team outside those two conferences. Most of the early top 10 lists I've seen put out by the various pundits do not have any any Big 12 teams for sure, and most of them don't have an ACC team. They might have a Miami at 9 or 10, or they might have, a depending on who they like, a Florida State at 9 or 10, right? But but most of them don't. Most of them, are, it's just all SEC and Big 10, maybe a Notre Dame in there late, you know, just depending on whose list you're looking at. I, the only one I saw that had a Big 12 team was, was Joel Cladd, who's got Utah at 8. And he says they're too low at eight, which I, uh, you know, no offense know to Joel, but I think that's crazy. That? Right. Here, I think they're going to be a lot better. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that they're absolutely, especially yeah. now with some of the attrition I, that's taking place at Arizona, they should be the favorite to win the Big 12, I think, pretty handily. Like, I would yeah, but almost that doesn't take them necessarily the make field. them a top eight team. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And that, that's where I was going to go next is, like, 
when you look at the roster, so first of all, Georgia is going to be like a, a real problem for everybody next year. Um, but the the five best rosters, in my opinion, coming back in college football next year, I think. Well, I think there's a clear top four. Uh, I think it's Georgia, Ohio State, Oregon, and Michigan, and I th- or sorry, in Texas, not Michigan. Yeah, Texas. I think Michigan yeah. would be fifth. And so, like, if I was rating teams one through five, I would go Georgia one, Ohio State two, Oregon three, Texas four, Michigan five. Yeah, I and I then think that's I, spot like, on. I think that six through ten is a hodgepodge, like whatever order you like them in, because I don't feel super strong about this, but I'd probably put like Penn State. Depending on I mean, Alabama's roster is very much in flex, but Ole, Penn State, Ole Miss, um, Bama's going to be in there. I think um, Bama probably ends up being in there. Missouri and Missouri and oh Notre, Notre, Dame. Notre Dame. So Notre Maybe Dame would Notre be Dame. probably the only non. I mean, they're, they're basically yeah. a Big Ten school in waiting. So. Um, Big Ten, Notre Dame, and waiting, and then a bunch of Big Ten and SEC schools, uh, and then I think you probably find Utah somewhere around in the early teens, like somewhere between ten and fifteen. And I think you probably have at least one ACC team, maybe two between ten and fifteen. That's where USC probably lands. I don't know. I think it'd be kind of a fun exercise to do a two. I would call it a, t- a twenty-five power rankings, um, and then we can update it as uh, things change over the course I of think the offseason. That- I yeah totally agree on the power rankings and I yeah you know, and I think we, we'll do that for next episode. The other thing I think is it's going to be really interesting to me to see a couple of things. One, how long does it take? Not that the AP poll matters for much other than it talking and perception, especially in the first half of the season. But do do AP pollsters ever adjust their mentality on how they rank teams to be more to to consider record less and who you've beaten, who you've played, who you've lost to, like your quality more, right? Because it, it still seems like most AP pollsters are still kind of stuck in this, you know, severely outdated model of counting losses. And, you know, that team's 10 and 2, so they're better than that team that's 9 and 3. And so I'm curious to see when that changes or if it does. And I'm also curious about um, the committee protocols, what the, how they're going to change and adapt because uh, uh, this this year's committee seemed more beholden to win loss record than I've seen previous committees, and I think if you if the committee is really just counting losses, then I think we're going to have some seriously misranked teams, and especially in the like, you know, eight through fifteen range, and that that concerns me a little bit. So I'll be interested to see how they evolve. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm I'm thinking that I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. I think that what's going to end up happening is strength to schedule, like, is going to be weighed very heavily. Um, and, like, the committee, let's be honest, they don't have a consistent approach to this. No. Um, so I, I, what, I, what I think ultimately ends up happening is they they have a very, um, a very strength to schedule heavy approach to it where they recognize, like, hey, like, Oregon is playing – at least two teams in the top 10 next year, and they'll probably end up being a third at some point, um, or at least a top 15 team in there. Whereas, like, if you're in the Big 12, the odds of you playing a top 15 team, unless you have Utah on your schedule, and if you're Utah, then you're not going to have any, uh, is very low. And so you can't... And I, I still think, ultimately, that the Big 12 will end up having, like, a three-loss or two-loss power for a champion. So it would be really disappointing to see, like, 
a two or three loss team get a bye in, in the playoff while a uh, one or two loss team from the SEC or Big Ten um, has to go play a game in that first weekend. Yeah, well, get ready. Get ready. It's going to happen. You think so? Um, I think so. I think so. So where is we kind of talking about this, um, you know, this this power rankings, and I agree, I agree with you completely. Where would you draw the line on teams that could actually win the title next year in a 12-team playoff? I mean, obviously, you know, name the top five you did. I would say all of those could potentially win a title. How far down does that go? I'm not talking about making it to the playoffs. I'm not talking about winning a game or two. I'm talking about could win the whole thing. Does that go five deep, those top five. deep? You think it's top I five? Think, I think it's those top five and then potentially, like, we'll see, like, if Riley Leonard takes a huge step forward as a passer, Notre Dame maybe, maybe. But I really think it's those top five. Hmm. I don't think they have enough firepower Bama? offensively. Uh, I mean, Bama in there. is DeBoer going to do witchcraft again? <laughs> well, he's got a better roster to do some witchcraft with outside of the quarterback position and, and probably the well, receiver one. It's kind of interesting because like, he's got a super young, talented group of quarterbacks now, though, because he just got Austin Mack today and he already had Julian, Julian saying. I don't know how stoked he is about playing Jalen Milrow for another year, but you might not have to with one of those two young guys. I mean, those are really talented passers. So um, I think it's to be decided how that ends up playing out there. But yeah, yeah I, think, I mean, Bama it. possibly, I, I don't think Bama, Bama has lost a lot of really important players, like Caleb Downs and, and Caden Proctor and um, some of the other defensive backs. Like I, I don't know. I think they're going to have a tough time. Yeah, let's pivot to that because that was the the next topic here is, you know, obviously these coaching dominoes falling and we're seeing at Alabama, right, we're seeing a lot of guys hit the portal. I think it's in double digits now, you know, some five stars, some also several decommitments from future from the 2025 class and beyond. Um, which is, you know, a saving was there 17 years. Like you, expecting any coach to come in and, and hold everything together is probably not realistic, but um, you know, particularly in DeBoer's case, because uh, I think, you know, for the reasons we've talked about, um, what, it'll be interesting to see how that roster shakes out over the coming months as well. And he's bringing over a couple guys from Alabama or from Washington with him, I think. But I don't know, man. I, it, it, we're hearing a lot that Alabama doesn't have the NIL resources and pe- kids have been playing there for discounts to play for Saban and... um how do you, I mean, do you, what do you think? Do you, is Bama going to come back to the, I mean, they've already come back to the pack a bit, but do you, like, do they win a title in the next three years? I would bet no. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't think that Bama's, like, I think whatever NAL issues they have, whatever they've been able to get away with, like, I don't think that that fan base and those boosters are going to sit back and allow that to be a continual issue. Um, I think that they'll get that, I'll get the, they'll get their NIL house in order. Uh, and ultimately, they'll end up being probably a perennial top 10 team. But um, DeBoer has to prove quite a bit to me as a recruiter in order to be a surefire national champion. Because, like, here's the deal. You're a good coach, but Kirby right down the street is a really good coach. Hugh Freeze right down the street is a really good coach. And they're going to out-recruit you most likely. So... Hey all, thanks for listening. As I mentioned at the beginning, this 
rest of the episode unfortunately got cut off and lost and we do not have any way to recover it so apologies for that we hope you did enjoy this episode we will be back with justin next week to talk about recruiting talk about coaching talk about roster management talk about whatever is relevant in college football and particularly in regards to the oregon ducks once again thank you all for listening Follow us on Twitter at QB11SD, at DouglasTS, and at QB11Show. Thank you very much.